Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 139 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hey there. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Watch it, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) Even more polite, hey there. Mm. I don't know, Dylan. This this competition has to end at some point. It's getting worse and worse every week. I think it's getting better and better every week. So there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the most mild blood feud I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, also, we had a little um, cameo there from Jillian Beth Durkee, the composer of our intro song. <laughs> not this, the other Jillian you Not were the other of. one, because this is our 50th episode. Number so. five. Oh, same age as me. That's nope. right. Incorrect. So wise, Andrew. Always dropping wisdom. Yep, I'm Bailey's younger brother, and I'm 50 years old. <laughs> and I just had a baby. <laughs> Please tell Jillian thank you. I will. I will pass that along. Yes. Also, she will hear this. True. Hi, Jillian. Well, this is our 50th episode, and I just, for one, good job, everyone. I've I mean, been waiting for you to say that. Yeah. 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 Since episode two. <laughs> Never been thanked once. Um, I'm still waiting for my books from the Strand. Strand Watch. Strand Watch 2020. <laughs> I've been checking and it, it says that they've been received at my local post office, but the acceptance of them has been pending for 15 days. I just imagine some worker at the post office is like, oh, you don't sit cracking your book open. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have referenced a specific book if I remembered any of the books that you read. It's fine. It's a lot ordered. of different books. Yeah. I, I guess what I'd like to say is thank you, listener, at the L.A. Uh, post office for mm-hmm. keeping Bailey from having shame as long as possible. I mean, straight up, thank you for all you're doing. It's a crazy time to be a post office worker. Yeah, true, but true. Andrew has one of his plays that he wrote <gasps> going to be on a famous podcast with famous people. Is that accurate? I don't know. Why don't you explain? It's yeah. on NPR, right? No, it's not on NPR. All right, we're recording this a little later than we usually do. Everyone's a little punchy. Um, <laughs> my play, which is called The Thompsons, is going to be part of a podcast called Playing on Air, which I don't know if maybe anyone listens to. The reason Dylan makes fun of me for it being on NPR is I think at one point it did have a relationship with the National Public Radio, but it does not anymore. It is a rival podcast, but in no way a rival because you can listen to all these podcasts. Um, it has already come out by the time you're listening to this. It came out on Sunday, the 29th of November. Ooh. It's uh, Again, it's called The Thompsons. The podcast is playing on air. And if you listen to it, it has some cool people in it. Uh, William Jackson Harper from The Good Place. Cheaty. Say what? And Patterson and a very brief cameo in 30, uh, 30 Rock I saw recently. Midsummer. Uh, oh, yeah, Midsummer. Amy Ryan from The Office and The Wire. A million other things. Yeah, high maintenance, whatever, mm-hmm. um, everything. And Sujin Kim from the recent adaptation of I Know This Much Is True to bring it back to our book podcast. Wally Lamb. Wally Lamb. But yeah, no, it was a really fun opportunity to do. Um, thanks to Claudia and all the people who put that together. This is exciting yeah, news. I'm amped. This is exciting. Toby's uh, thrilled. You said it's on streaming. Where can I grab it on my phone? Gotcha. I mean, you can grab it anywhere you get your normal podcast. Okay. The podcast, again, is called Playing On Air. Okay. The host is Claudia Catania. If you have any question, listen to the first few seconds. And if someone named Claudia Catania says, I'm Claudia Catania, and this is Playing On Air, you found the it's right the spot. Wrong uh, it's the wrong one. It's the wrong. absolutely wrong. And I featured in an interview that I have not heard as of the recording of this podcast. So who knows how that went, but we'll say. <laughs> I'm sure it was awesome. I can't wait to listen. I'm very excited. I also want to say that I've been reading a book off my list, which is excellent, but we can't review it on the podcast. It's the Lindy West book, S-Word Actually, which is why I can't review it on the podcast because I can't even say the title because we're a family-friendly podcast. But two thumbs up. I highly recommend it. That's not our writing system at all. (laughs) 
Are we moving to thumbs? Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Bailey, like, sarcastically displayed her thumbs as she said that. Five stars, but really two thumbs up. Oh, God. <laughs> um, the thesis of the book is that The Fugitive is the only good movie. All right. <laughs> and I, then... <laughs> I think I might agree with that thesis. <laughs> and then she reviews a lot of different movies like Harry Potter, uh, Love Actually, and she just kind of skewers them with jokes. You know, it's it's not family friendly, but I found it very diverting and fun. I've only read Shrill. Is it lighter yeah. than, than Shrill? Because Shrill's like, okay. Yeah, but it's the same. Like, she's still a great writer. It's, okay. it's just jokes, jokes, jokes. I'm interested. Yeah. Also, I'd never seen The Fugitive before, and I watched. <laughs> it what? for it yeah it was great two thumbs up <laughs> yeah i'll give that two thumbs up <laughs> one arm up yeah. and then i finally understand that ace ventura joke it wasn't me it was the one-armed man i didn't know that very specific very reference. specific yeah. did you just think that ace ventura was like ableist for some reason <laughs> i mean i don't put a lot of logic on to what mr ventura does yeah he's pretty silly anyway this is a book podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh just a quick update on my personal reading since you gave one uh i'm in the in the thick of the rhythm of war which is brandon sanderson's newest edition in the Stormlight oh, Archive. I know you were so excited for this. I literally man. can't stop smiling. I was going to uh, say, you look, you're glowing. Yeah, so I want to tease anybody out there. I'm going to do a super non-spoiler review of it probably in our next episode. I mean, you might already be able to tell. I was going to say. <laughs> Unless things take a pretty drastic U-turn in the second half of the book, um, you can tell what I think of it. I don't know. You could be like looking forward to hating it. That's why you're smiling <laughs> That's about it. That's true. Awesome. Well, now's that time check it <laughs> <laughs> this week andrew read a book at random from his shelf andrew what book did you read i read thunderstruck by eric larson <laughs> thunderstruck yep that's the tune yeah that's a broadway version i of have it. a i have a secret you guys have been referencing this song for like a month and i've never heard it wait a minute stop what band would you guess this sings this song um is it the people that sing steamroller that Peter Gabriel? Yeah. No. What? <laughs> Wait, no, that's... I'm thinking of Sledgehammer. Yeah, you're Sled- thinking of... That's, yeah, okay, that's yeah. the one. <laughs> Steamroller isn't even a song. I kind of want to hear Steamroller, though. Steamroller, Steam I'm your man. Is that no. how it goes? Okay, guess number two, just real quick. And, then we'll, more. and then we'll tell you. Sledgehammer. No. Nope. That's like the that's same song with the correct <laughs> title. <laughs> R.E.M. <laughs> yes, I guess R.E.M. Yeah, that's it. A little bit of... Uh, a little band from Australia, by the way, Scotland... ACDC. <laughs> what do you think about it? Ties into the book. I mean, it very much ties into the book. Well, it's the title of Alternating and Direct Current. Oh. It's actually not that much involved in the podcast. You're, you're connecting it. Okay, tell us about this book because clearly I know all about it. And then yeah. tell Bailey about ACDC. All right, this is not a logline. I don't care what it is. It's a little summary. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thunderstruck, Eric Larson's gripping nonfiction account of the invention and development of wireless communication, juxtaposed with a London cellar murder, tells two stories with clarity and detail while creating a work that appeals to two distinct branches of the nonfiction fandom, history junkies and true crime connoisseurs. What is a cellar murder? There is a famous murder in London committed by one Holly Crippen um, that went by the name of the London Cellar Murder, happened around 1910, and Captivated London was a big uh, thing and is, you know, 50% of the book. So I don't want to go too far into exactly what happens. Did they kill a cellar? Uh, uh, let's say someone was killed, perhaps, in a cellar. <gasps> Bailey's been thunderstruck. <laughs> Would you say that he was a cellarial killer? I tried to force that in there. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. No. I'm so glad we can edit these things. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I'm editing it, so that's it. <laughs> 
Um, so a little bit more about sort of how those two stories work together. Um, so I haven't read any other Eric Larson, but from what I understand, this might be something he likes to do, which is that he has taken one element of history that is pretty salacious, a murder, a true crime thing, which is Devil Lloyd City is H.H. Holmes, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And juxtaposed it with how it relates to something boring some dad somewhere just stood up in their (laughs) den something that's more for the dad nonfiction side of things which in this case is marconi inventing wireless communication and sort of the race to perfect that technology and the controversies about who to what first and all that dramatic stuff to me these were both equally interesting no to other folks, it might not be. Toby's <laughs> um, <laughs> thrilled too. I love Eric Larson. <laughs> so he takes those two stories um, because I don't want to spoil too much about it because it is sort of fun watching the threads get woven together. But the use of wireless technology features prominently into how this murder is solved and how the perpetrator of the murder is caught. Um, that's a bit about all the detail you need to know. And you just get basically alternating chapters of drama and the development of wireless communication and straight up murder. So that's basically all you need to know about how this is constructed. The chapters are short, you get a little chunk of Marconi, and you get a little chunk of maybe some murder, or maybe some like, what's going on with this guy and his wife? Hmm? Mm, Maybe some sellers? You know, the seller is described in detail before I knew anything about the crime, and in retrospect, I should have realized something. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, from here, I'll go into my uh, my orcs and my elves. Um, First of all, it hits the balance of nonfiction, which is really hard to do, which is that it's clear and gives you the right amount of detail with not being too stodgy. Mm. Like, I actually was shocked. I budgeted a lot of time to read this book and was like, okay, I need to read 40 pages a day. This mm-hmm. flew by. I like oh. had to stop and I was like, well, I'm done reading at 1030 in the morning, so I guess I could wait till tomorrow. And then I just ended up finishing it way earlier than I needed to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it strikes that balance. Um, you get the compelling story. The chapters, as I said earlier, are short, so you don't ever really get too bogged down, especially in the more technical stuff on the Marconi side of things. And similar to that, it it moves fast. Like, it's about a 400-page book. And, like, I am a nonfiction fan. I'm usually okay with things being a little bit boring. I can say I don't think this was boring. This is influenced by the fact that I abandoned Devil in the White City. It's on my shelf to try again because I kept getting bored by the Chicago, the White City parts. The World's Fair? Yeah. Columbia Exhibition. Thank you. I'll color this even further. And I will say I've read almost every book that Eric Larson has put out. And Thunderstruck is the most boring to me. Well, I guess I am... You are in for a wild ride, my friend. I am a big old dad already, and I don't even have any kids except for cats. Um, (laughs) You've been (laughs) steamrollered. My next point in my, like, pros and cons list, orcs and elves, so sorry, was that this made me want to read all of Eric Larson's other books. Like, I am a Larson parson, I commit arson for Larson. But yeah, no, I'm excited to peek other things. I might, you know, maybe even ask one for Christmas from, say, Bailey or something. We'll see. Yeah, and I mean... I think I just need to accept my dad. Um, this book was great for me. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm ready to sit and like sort of complain about the temperature or people using the <laughs> air conditioning too much and just read this book. That's great. I mean, I don't think I'm going to read it, but continue. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> Bailey's unconvinced. It, like if you went to a reading for Eric Larson, do you think it'd be like 90% dads? I think it'd be a diverse group of people who enjoy history and thrilling stories. And they have a common theme, which is that they are all fathers of children. Half of them <laughs> half of them are dads and the other half are also dads. When, when I was in middle school, my dad took me to a book reading for Day of the Deceit, FDR's Knowledge of Pearl Harbor. 
and it was a very thick one. I was 50 years younger than anyone else in the crowd, and it was very old and very exciting. <laughs> yeah. And like the author's eyes lit up when I came afterwards to get the book signed by him. That's cute. Like, oh my god, a youth. What's your name, uh-huh. son? So it's hard to pick like juicy quotes from a nonfiction book. So I have two quotes to just sort of give you a taste of why I thought this was a little fun. This one comes from page 52 and, you know, has a dad joke in it. And maybe that's why it appeals to me so deeply. (laughs) Motor cars or simply motors added a fresh layer of noise and stench in danger. In 1896, their increasing use forced repeal of a law that had limited speed to a maximum of two miles per hour and required a footman to walk ahead carrying a red flag. The new locomotives on highways act raised the speed limit to 14 and wisely did away with the footman. (laughs) I love Eric Larson. (laughs) That is such a good quote because I think that you might be able to gauge if you've never read an Eric Larson book. If you can visualize this ridiculous image of like a footman walking in front of a two mile an hour car and you're like, wow, the world used to be like that, which is basically how I react to these books. I think you're going to enjoy him. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, One other quote I'll throw in for all you who are sort of on the fence. I'm going to throw in the third secret element of this book here and see if it, you know, grabs your attention. (laughs) History or true crime? Not your thing. That's fine. What about this? (laughs) This is about Marconi um, angering some of his uh, fellow scientists. (laughs) Next, Marconi addressed the annual meeting of his company's shareholders and for the first time in public launched into a direct attack against William Priest and Oliver Lodge in their must-publicized harping about the flaws in his system. A man more able to sense the subtler bounds of accepted scientific behavior might have omitted this tack or at least phrased it differently, with some kind of oblique but slashing wit in which British parliamentarians seem so adept. But Marconi was about to cross a dangerous invisible line, especially in touching on that most sensitive of subjects, Lodge's interest in ghosts. Wait, there's ghosts in what? here? I'm not going to say. You don't want to read it, Spiritualism. Yeah, how do you think radios work? So all that said, little light on the orcs this week, but there are some there, and I don't want to, to blow past them. Um, you don't have to have orcs, Andrew. It's okay if no, you don't. No, I do have orcs. I do have oh, orcs. Okay, okay. You might even be surprised by the star rating I give this book. <gasps> um, Six stars. <laughs> <laughs> two thumbs up. <laughs> as much as my review feels like it is, this wasn't like a heck yes feeling. They're like I didn't have that heck yes feeling while I was reading it. I was entertained. I was happy to be reading it, and I was had my attention held. You weren't it, thunderstruck. I wasn't thunderstruck. <laughs> um, so that's something that, like, it's hard to quantify that. I, I don't know what he could have done differently to make me have that, oh, oh, heck yes moment. But it, it just, like, was a very enjoyable experience. I'm not convinced that I'm going to remember, like, all the details of this in, yeah. like, four months. I think I had a great time reading it, but is it more candy than, like substance you guys are so funny what's a candy book to you one of my friends who's a six-year-old man talks about beach reads and they're like 600 page biographies of fdr so like dads yeah yeah you stop talking to my dad that way (laughs) (laughs) i feel really positive about this book again i take to heart the fact that you're saying that thunderstruck is not like your favorite of the larson canon and it makes me even more excited that if i liked this book this much to check out more of it so i did give it four stars it just wasn't oh. quite a, wasn't quite a five for me, despite how glowing this review sounds. But I definitely recommend checking it out, especially if you know you're someone who likes nonfiction. Because I knew I like nonfiction, and so this was just like exceeding every expectation because it's a great example of nonfiction. I would actually say this is a 
a nonfiction writer that I often recommend to people who are like looking to dip their toe in. Like it's not like these super long, super detailed biographies or anything like that. It's digestible. It's all the things you said. Yeah, this isn't like Robert Caro, Power Broker, or one of the eight books he's written about Lyndon Johnson. Exactly. So yeah, you're safer here. Um, yeah, so four stars. I'm going to keep it on my shelf and I'm going to try to expand my Larson collection. Hmm. Yeah, I'd recommend Devil in the White City. I mean, that's the that's the big one. Yeah, that's the big bad boy. Well, that's awesome. Um, Thunderstruck, four stars. Oh, wait, Toby. <laughs> I can hear the disdain in your voice. No, no. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting to be such a dad so early in life, but apparently I am. It's I fine. I started liking Eric Larson years ago. I was ready for, very comfortable with my dadness. Apparently Dylan was too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, were you excited to read facts about Eric Larson? Did it feel like... You know, turning it on its head, turning. I was, yeah. I have some interesting facts, some mm. more more interesting interview questions. Honestly, the facts of his life are pretty normal. <laughs> Eric Larson uh, was born January third, nineteen fifty four. He's an American journalist, surprise, and author of nonfiction books. Uh, he's written many bestsellers, including, of course, the big one, The Big Bad Boy. That's not the title. That's <laughs> the <laughs> the Big Bad Boy. Please don't Google The Big, the big Bad Boy. Michelin <laughs> and that's The Devil in the White City, about the 1893 World Columbian Exposition in Chicago, and also a series of murders by H. H. Holmes that were committed in the city around the time of the fair. Um, the Devil in the White City won the 2004 Edgar Award in the Best Fact Crime category. Fact Crime. That's interesting. I like that. He studied Russian history at the University of Pennsylvania and graduated summa cum laude in 1976. Speaking of big bad boys, dang. <laughs> After a year off, he attended Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. I went there. Well, I went Not to Columbia. Not the journalism part. No. <laughs> he says that he was inspired to go into journalism after seeing the movie All the President's Men. Bailey, Yay. seen that movie? Yes, White, I have. The White House? <laughs> um... He's written quite a few books, um, mostly historical nonfiction. Um, in a 2016 interview with an Knoxville Mercury, uh, he gave a real dad answer uh, where he stated that he does all of his own research asking, quote, why should I let anybody else have all the fun? Oh, this just smacks of a man raking leaves and like <laughs> looking at his child. He's like, I need you to let me to pay me for something so I can pit put gas in the car. <laughs> He's got one of those fleeces on that only zips down to like your collarbone. <laughs> yeah. uh, he also has rejected in the past the idea that he's trying to imagine or take factual liberties with scenes or conversations from the past, stating that in his work, quote, anything that appears in a quote is something that came from a historical document. He is very strict about that in Thunderstruck. He has a foreword about it. It's in the acknowledgments and it's in like the little afterword he put in there. He <laughs> wants you to know he didn't make anything up. He's been accused of fat crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of this is from an interview with uh, readitforward.com. Tell me about your research and your writing process. You must deal with mountains of original source documents. How do you keep everything organized? Eric answers, there are, in fact, mountains of these documents. A very important part of the whole research process is just strictly organizing everything and keeping track. Because, you know, invariably, you'll come across some little detail, and often it's the little itty-bitty details that are the things that are sort of magical for readers. Like, maybe... A two mile per hour speed limit. Before you continue on, I'm, I'm going to make a guess. I think he uses like little note cards and makes like a little filing system. You'll never know. He doesn't go into it specifically. Well, actually, what he does is he, you know, puts little push pins into the wall of his home and he draws on it with Sharpie between it. No, not even red string. <laughs> he has to buy a new house at the end of every book because he destroys it with his research. <laughs> um, so we'll go back. This is Eric speaking again. And boy, if you can't find it again, you really can't use it. 
because you have to a know that it was real and b you have to be able to footnote it especially the more bizarre or challenging facts so I've developed this very arcane, fairly exhausting system that has to do with indexing the notes, coding them, putting everything into a detailed chronology before I start to write. The chronology then acts as a kind of de facto outline, which then ideally leads me with pretty good accuracy to everything that I've collected. So by index, he means index cards. I always wonder how someone makes an index. That seems very tedious. It seems like love something it. you would love yeah. to do. <laughs> You're right. So this is skipping a little bit forward in the interview, um, but it's about losing data or losing references and then finding them in the last place you would look. Eric says, it's always at the end of the file or the bottom of the pile. Similarly, and this had happened at some point with all the books that I've done, is that you do your research, research, and research, and research, and then it's the last day you're in town and suddenly that file you've been looking for for months and months in the archives, the one that supposedly had been in the hands of someone else who's using it, suddenly becomes available. And it's always the single most important file, the thing that makes the entire book work. That was particularly the case when I was in London researching Thunderstruck. Down, down. And he hums, it says, hums tuned to Thunderstruck. Smashes beer can on head. <laughs> Steam roller. <laughs> he says, I had been looking for the entire Metropolitan Police Department file in the case, which had eluded me. I mean, I still had a lot of material, but I don't think I could have done the book, at least not the way I did it, without that file. And because of the way the archives of the UK work, you get this report back saying, well, sorry, that file's out with another reader. I'm like, oh, no, somebody else is doing the same book that I'm doing. Time and time again, after three trips to London, I kept getting the same results. So I finally asked the archivist, can you check to see who has this file or where it is? He said, oh, yeah, it's in the conservation department. And I said, well, can I see it? Sure. So I had to go through, I swear, it was like a strip search. I'm making him sound a little dramatic, but I like to think this is how he talks. I had to go through, I swear, it was like a strip search. I had to like get naked in order to get this part of the UK archives because they're just such security. But then there was this thick file sitting there on a table. I opened the top and right on the front cover, the first thing I see is a beautiful black and white high silver content photograph, just like it was taken yesterday of Inspector Dew and the guys who helped him dig up this body right after they dug it up. He's got his sleeves rolled up and he's looking at the camera with a S eating grin. He's just so happy and the guys around him, they're all smug. And I'm like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for for two years. And there it was, but you always find it on the last day. He is very dramatic, this Larson fella. I'm going to see a footnote on that. <laughs> but also, like, you would just stop after you found it, so it would always be the last day. Bailey. Hey, why are you such a Larson God. hater? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Um, last question that Read It Forward asks, when you visit a historical place or happen to live there, do you find you have a different appreciation for the buildings around you that perhaps you, more so than others, can really appreciate the history of the bricks and what they've held throughout the years? And Eric answers, I don't know if I have more or less of an appreciation than anyone else. Although I would say when I walk around Chicago, everywhere I go within the core area of the city, you know, essentially up and down Michigan Avenue in the three or four blocks in either direction, I do have a view of the city that is informed by what was there and what the context was. If you walk by the Rookery building and you don't know the history, you might think, okay, this is a pretty nice building, but it's not that much. It's only 10 stories or something. But if you know that at the time it was built, that it was one of the world's first skyscrapers, and it was this product of incredible inventiveness on the part of John Wellborn Root and Daniel Burnham, you begin to think, oh, really? Wow. Which is like the exact experience of reading an Eric Larson book. Guys, I... I, can you just imagine like doing a walking tour with Eric Larson and how annoying he would be? No, like, it'd every be great. Single, 
<laughs> yeah, no, he might be annoying in person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Guys, I'm glad you found something that gives you joy in these dark, dark times. Danke. Thunderstruck by Eric Larson. Four stars. Sledgehammer by Peter Griffin. <laughs> um, Bailey, did you have to read something this week? Check it. Totally. I did. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I read a book called Lakewood by Megan Giddings. It came out, I think, within the last year. And I heard about it on our rival podcast, <gasps> Reading, <Most> American Life. <laughs> Reading Glasses, which is not really a rival podcast. It's a very good podcast if you guys are interested. It's, it's a short podcast about literary life and reading. And they recommended this book as something that they were reading. And so I decided to pick it up. And so this is my haiku logline. To make cash for mom, a young black woman signs up for experiments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that works as a regular that logline, the, too, frankly. That was the best one so far. <laughs> that was great, Bailey. Thank that you. That was a really informative logline <laughs> in form of haiku. Yeah. <laughs> so it follows protagonist Lena, who lives in Michigan. Um, she is a young black woman who's living with her mom, who has a lot of health problems. And after her grandmother dies... Lena has to um, make some money, make money for mom. And so she signs up for these creepy experiments in this town called Lakewood. And in particular, the uh, experiments, she starts to notice that a lot of the people being experimented on are black and all of the experimenters are white. And so there's very clear commentary on the use of black bodies in America to do research and to not care about what happened to them, like the Tuskegee experiments. Yeah, that was the first thing that jumped to my mind when you mentioned that. Um, it's compared to Never Let Me Go. It's compared hmm. to Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. That was the comparison I was thinking of. And Get Out. That's Ooh, what I was I mean, Those are three good things to be compared to. This is all why I picked it up. So it has a really eerie uh, premise, as you can tell. Made me really excited to read it. I thought it would be a little bit scarier than it was. But, you know, if you're easily scared, maybe it's good. <laughs> You'd like this book. If you're not as... Brave as yeah. me. <laughs> as much of a big, bad baby as me. <laughs> uh, so, But it was creepy, especially because the experiments are weird. Let me give you an example. I have a little quote of, of, of an experiment. You're reading a quote from the book? Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I sat in a dark room for an entire hour. I had a blindfold on. I was asked to write down all the sounds I heard. When they took the fabric off my eyes, a man wearing a top hat and gray lipstick was sitting in the chair across from me. Talk to me about sex. Do you like it? Are you scared about it? A person came in wearing one of those terrible unicorn masks and asked me about risk taking. How often was I scared? Would I ever go bungee jumping? What were my rational fears? Then everything was twisting and I saw colors on the walls, lavender, orange, fruit punch, red. My spine was sparking with pain. All I wanted was to lie on a hardwood floor, stay still until it all floated away. The detail of gray lipstick is, mm. is yeah, really that's a good one. upsetting. upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. That's kind of why I picked that quote. And I don't know why it's upsetting. I feel like I can taste it. Yeah. Creepy. Nasty. And there are things like uh, they have to put drops in their eyes that turn their eyes blue. Uh, so stuff like that. And then they mm. find out how they're treated differently by having blue eyes. So that's just, these are some examples of the experiments. And if you were scared by that, just know you're not as brave as Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> I am so brave, you guys. And, you know, the, the basic theme, like I said, is the um, taking advantage of black bodies. And there's a quote that one of the experimenters says, which is, you give of yourself to keep us safe. It's very get out. Yes. And it, and it feels like get out in that, you know, as the audience, like, this doesn't seem kosher. Like, yeah. you should probably get out, you know. Behold the coagula. Um, also, uh, Megan Giddings does a great job of setting up the stakes, which is 
she's doing this because she needs the money to save her mother's life. Like, she has to do it. And at one point, like, she starts to push back and the experimenters are like, you can't do that. Think of your mother. Because they know everything about her and they know how to take advantage of her. Why do I feel this whole review is leading up to a but? Yeah. It's something about the way you're talking about it. It's like a, almost it? like a... That's fair. I, I just, I only have a little but. A little but? Just a little but. <laughs> oh, a little no. lurk. Uh, and I just want to say that I really like once she starts to investigate um, what's going on. I think if she starts to unravel some interesting things. There's only one little but, which is that it's very clear that it's her first novel. I don't know if you guys have ever read books like that, where it's like, there's just something a little bit off. The ending felt a little bit rushed, and it just felt like a baby writer, uh, which is what made it four stars versus five stars to me. So that's the, that's my only little but. That's fair. Hey, we both had books this week that we overwhelmingly liked, but had a little, you know, a little but. A little but, <laughs> you know, and we got two four stars. And I would definitely recommend this book if you're interested in the genre, the horror genre. Megan Giddings is awesome. And I look forward to reading her future books, which hopefully won't have that little butt because she'll be less of a new writer. Well, there you go. Well, are you going to keep it on your shelf, though? Yes, I'm going to keep it on my shelf. I think I will let people read it if they want, if you're brave enough. <laughs> I don't know if I'm brave enough, but that's mostly because I have too big of a to-read list right now. Mm, true. Yeah. So, uh, Toby, I'm, I'm going to say you probably don't have that many facts on Megan Giddings because she's very young. I bet you have an interview with Megan Giddings. I have a, such an interview. You is have no idea. Is it from no the Guardian by any <laughs> No, actually, this one is Reed not. Forward Inc.? Uh, no. Do the facts in haiku. Yeah, tra- can you translate these research? <laughs> For <facts>? mama. <laughs> Little butts. Um, okay. So, Megan Giddings, as Bailey mentioned, is quite young. She's quite fresh on the scene. She is so new, she ain't even got a Wikipedia page, y'all. So, this is her author bio from her website. So, Megan Giddings has degrees from the University of Michigan and Indiana University. She is a fiction editor at The Offing and a senior features editor at The Rumpus. In 2018, she was a recipient of a Barbara Deming Memorial Fund grant for feminist fiction. Her novel, Lakewood was published by Amistad in 2020, and her second novel, The Women Could Fly, is forthcoming. (gasps) Add to my list. So that's it. Those are the the facts facts. The rest of this is interview. So so this is from an interview with writeordietribe.com. The interviewer asks, what urged you to write Lakewood? I started Lakewood in 2014, so it was about a five-year process of writing the book from starting a draft that would change many, many times to selling the book to working on the book with my editor. A simple component is that I had to start a novel because I was in a novel writing class and I had to write a significant number of pages. But later when I was drafting and thinking about what I was trying to talk about in Lakewood, I had a family member who had a pretty big health scare. We found out that they had gotten a wrong diagnosis and we essentially had to spend all of our savings despite having insurance. We were coming into everything's assumption that if this was right, things were going to be really bad. We were talking about what could I do to help us make more money, and especially if he wasn't going to be able to work or if things were going to be really bad, what more could I do? What more could we do? I'm still really angry at how terrible our healthcare system is in the U.S., and I think that was kind of the emotional genesis of what the book is, this kind of anger at this number of situations that Americans get into to try to have just enough money to survive. Too real. Very true. I think she's the first person since Jonathan Safran Foer who said, like, why'd you write the novel? It's like, it was for a class. Yeah, <laughs> it's very straightforward. Uh, the interviewer says, the experience Lena undergoes bends her reality and her memory in a number of ways, from the drugs that literally alter her brain function to the isolation she feels, never knowing what is real, what is staged, or what is her own paranoia. 
what fascinates you about memory and how memory influences our perceptions of reality? Um, she answers, I'm really interested in how emotions color and frame memory because I think that the things that I remember the clearest are intensely emotional. It's happiness or sadness or anxiety. I thought a lot while writing Lakewood about how much anxiety messes with memory. So some of that is just, I think, a natural occurrence to people who have been deeply anxious or have diagnosed anxiety, where there are moments where things are either hyper intense or later when you think back, they're a little muddy. You just start to kind of poke a little bit. Uh, was this what the other person would think? Is this what I'm thinking happened because of anxiety? Because I was kind of overwhelmed with this emotion in the moment. This is kind of how I got walking toward the way the book portrays Lena's memory in it. I did write everything, because it's the only way I could do it, with the belief that everything she experiences really does happen. But it's kind of a delight that so many people who have read the book now aren't engaging with it approach it so differently. What is real or what isn't? There's a lot of talk about what's paranoia in this book. Is it like a dream? I like seeing the number of ways that people are starting to make this book theirs. It's really delightful. That's interesting. I didn't think about it. I thought it was all real, but she touches on something there, which is Lena doesn't know what part is the experiment and what part isn't. Like she feels like she might be watched constantly. So even when she's walking down the streets and interacting with people, she's like, are these people part of the experiment? So that was a cool, cool little twist. And now we're going to go for my final tidbit. Uh, We're going to go to an interview on storymagazine.com talking about how she actually signed up. Megan Giddings actually signed up to be a medical research patient Oh, uh, to research this novel. The interviewer asks... Now, you mentioned that you did a lot of reading for the book, and I saw that you also enrolled in a contact lens study for your research about medical studies and experiments. Can you tell me about that experience? Megan answers, I did a lot of them. The initial ones gave me a sense of what it felt like just to be a research subject. Then a new person came in charge, and she ended up being one of my really good friends. She's great, but I think both experiences were necessary. During the first studies, there was a moment when you as a subject weren't allowed to touch the contacts for the experiment. One of the researchers had to remove them from your eye while wearing gloves. It became the situation where I was so uncomfortable. I have really dry eyes and the contacts were stuck. After a couple of tries, I told her, I can't do this. This is freaking me out. And she said, well, you have to. She was frustrated too. It was one of those weird times where I was there at midnight because I had to wear contacts for 12 hours. We were in this deserted building and I was just exhausted and she was exhausted. She was holding my head and trying to get contacts out of my eyes. It became this very uncomfortable thing. I think the big difference from that to then working with Dr. Reed, who I love, is that Dr. Reed explained everything to me. She made sure that I understood. Ethically, she's supposed to do that. You have to understand all parts of the experiment to be able to fully give consent. There are parts you can't know because it would ruin the experiment, but you do have to know about anything that can actually put you at risk or injure you in any way. She was clear about those things. She would also talk through every part of it if you wanted to know. Some of that, I think, was that she was just excited that someone wanted to listen. She was engaged in making sure that she saw every single person versus the very negative experience I had at the beginning of doing this. Mm. I want to pitch a book, which is an author enters a study to research their book, but then they can't get out of the study. They're trapped. And it's called... (laughs) Thunderstruck. <laughs> I was going to say get out. Steamroller. <laughs> awesome facts, Toby. Thank I, you. This makes me think warmly about this book, and I hope you guys pick it up and read it. Yeah, Lake that's cool. Wood. Were those really eye-opening facts? Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lakewood by Megan Giddings, four stars. I love you, Dylan. And Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do have a game for you this week. Yes. In case you were worried, I didn't forget. <laughs> so we're going to do one of those games where it revolves more around your creativity than specific facts we call those toby games we call those you won last week (laughs) i know i'm just trying to smack talk oh okay so 
The name of the game this week is Who's Got the Hot Album? So, as the fun we've been having today may suggest, I couldn't stop thinking about the ACDC song Thunderstruck while I was reading the book Thunderstruck. Is this an ACDC-based game? Toby looks so excited. Yeah. It's an ACDC-based game in enthusiasm, (laughs) but not necessarily in fact. Well, it's good because I didn't even know Thunderstruck was a song. (laughs) Very fair. The way the game is going to work, I'm going to give you a creative prompt, and you're going to give me an album title and an example of a few songs off of that album. And I'm going to award a winner. It's a one round thing, but we'll we'll parse out who reveals their songs and stuff. So it'll, it'll still mm-hmm. take a bit of time. Mm. You know that if you're experimenting on us, you have to tell us everything about the experiment. This will harvest all your data for me. Thank <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> um, when do you reach into my eye? Soon. So here's the prompt. You are creating an ACDC album about the lovely state of Michigan. Sufjan wrote an album about it already. Maybe you can remember some of those titles. Don't use those. Those are his. Can you say Sufjan Stevens? He's my friend. (laughs) 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 Sufjan Stevens already wrote an album about it. You want to really encapsulate that ACDC spirit with our beautiful state, Michigan, as the uh, inspiration. In case you are wondering what an ACDC album is, here are some examples of their discography. I was just going to say, you could not have combined two topics of which I know much more about one <laughs> and almost nothing about the other. Well, good thing Bailey doesn't know a lot about ACDC, but she loves Grand Rapids. It's a city. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of really good restaurants in Grand Rapids. Here's in order. We got the ACDC albums. High Voltage, TNT, High Voltage International. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap Let There Be Rock Powerage Highway to Hell I know that song Highway to Hell (laughs) Back in Black For those who are about to rock We salute you Flick of the switch Fly on the wall Blow up your video The Razor's Edge Ball Breaker Stiff Upper Lip Black Ice Rock or Bust And Power Up Released November 13th 2020 Oh wow Using the magic of podcast editing I'm now going to give you a few moments To create your album your album again needs a title and let's say four tracks and it would be great if you could tell me a little bit about the tracks in terms of is this a power ballad is this a um you know a rock anthem is this where we make it a little acoustic madrigal for a second yeah madrigal lots of madrigals <laughs> and it appears dylan is playing as well what? oh no i was just okay. dylan can play can dylan play well dylan can play if he wants to but that's truly up to him i hmm. Tune in tune in later to see if Dylan played the game. I already started. Okay. In case you were curious, listener, their live albums or If You Want Blood, You've Got It. And then ACDC Live and Live at River Plate. But let the record show Toby is typing up his list. I type faster than I write. <laughs> I feel like I'm playing categories and like I'm under a time limit. So I've gotten word from our competitors that they are ready. ACDC's Many wonderful members, Angus, some others. Mm-hmm. Bon Scott. Bon Scott. Uh, so we have our pitches ready. Um, things are tough. ACDC doesn't have time to write and conceive of this album. So we brought three of the greatest minds together to come up with it. Bailey signaled that she had finished first. We're going to let her go first. Oh. All right, Bailey. <laughs> so your ACDC album about the beautiful state of Michigan, what is its title and some of its tracks? It's called... A big scary mitten. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because, you know, do you get it? Yeah. But yeah. do you get it? Do you want me to explain? So Bailey, not scared of Lakewood, scared of ACDC? <laughs> Track number one, Highway to Lake. So they're ripping off themselves here. That's good. Highway to Lake. And it, there are many bridges across yeah. lakes here. There are highways. I can't laugh at that because I have a very similar <laughs> title. It's the same as Highway to Hell, except they replace Hell with Lake. Except because the, the lake is, is the, the dark afterworld. Now. Right. They mm-hmm. want it to be family friendly. Number two is Detroit. Yeah, typical, Detro- typical ACDC behavior. Number two, Detroit gets young. You know, like Angus Young, mm. but he's in Detroit. Wow. And they really do like to name tracks after themselves. <laughs> but yes, no, this is great. Um, Angus Young shook me all night long. And that one is that one is a soft acoustic ballad of Angus Young talking about his life in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and number three is Dads in Hats! Exclamation point. What, uh, tell me a little bit more about Dads in Hats. Um, Dads in Hats is like one of those songs that's mostly like rhythm and then all of a sudden it's like dads in hats it's not I mean, too dissimilar than from thunderstruck but i mean i want to knock her but that does sound like an acdc song <laughs> I just feel like they would be in michigan and lastly number four steamroller <laughs> no. No, that's beautiful that's it's a beautiful a album big scary mitten we will definitely take that under consideration i believe toby you finished next i'd sure. love to hear your pitch well can't laugh too hard because my album title is Highway to Huron. Oh. Ooh, there's some specifics there that Lake mm-hmm. doesn't quite have. Yep. Uh, first track is Detroit is Toit. I was trying to think of a pun for Detroit the whole time, and I just went with Detroit well, is young. So. Detroit is Toit is pretty forced, so... <laughs> Um, you shook your mitten at me all night long. Again, using their old titles <laughs> again, which is great. It's great. Yeah. Um, great lakes, great shakes. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. like kind of yeah. like a like a boppy one where you're like, oh, I could twist to this on the dance floor. Yep, twisting the dance everyone does to, <laughs> to ACDC. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the last one, uh, they're really this is really on brand for ACDC. It's the peninsula mightier than the S word. Been until mightier than the sword. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh! You were saying S word. Okay. Oh, I should, oh. I, should I give that more directly? It's clever. I get it. It is funnier if you see it written. Oh, down. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I see how it. does that song go, Toby? Yeah, tell us a little bit about how that rocks. The peninsula. <laughs> okay, so it's like about a gremlin who's trapped in a bag. Than the S word. Which again is pretty dun, accurate. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Five minutes solo by Angus, and then you're good. Dylan? Um, these are all interchangeable for the album titles, but I'm going to keep the title just for another mitten pun. Okay. Um, the album is Bitten by the Mitten. Ooh, that's, that's a good. real good title. That's good. With Wolverine, if you know what I mean, land singing in the pain, they come in any color as long as you want it in black and sin like flint again with a cover of detroit rock city because i kept trying to make it i rock was city trying pun. to do a detroit rock it's like, city oh, thing or they just do a cover like it's a secret track. okay hold on dylan cannot participate in the game anymore because he just it's too good steamrolled yeah. <laughs> i've been sledgehammered yeah, wait I mean, tell us about the songs though tell dylan, us what they're like you shocked me like i was a monkey <laughs> this is part of the experiment um well it's bitten by the mitten which is a live show that they did at the ford arena it's Wolverine, if you know what I mean, is a very specific fight chant song they did for U of M. U of oh, M. Yeah. Are these actual things they've done? No. Okay. Wow. You were, the way you were saying it made it seem like you did a lot of research. Oh, no, no. no. I was just... So you, Mich- you, Michigan, has a Wolverine as its mascot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go blue. 
Uh, Don't bleed, it's blue and yellow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lance singing in the pain. Which is a pun on Lansing. Mm-hmm. I'm just assuming. And singing in the rain. Is about how hardcore Lansing is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just get some of that. Um, they come in any color as long as you want it in black, which is a good, I think Eric Larson would love that dad joke. Because that's a famous that quote. Model T. It's a famous quote um, from Henry Ford about the Model T. Yeah. Or it sounds like a hardcore quote in this context, but it's a very sociopath quote out of it. Yeah. yeah that's I, actually that does sound like a metal song. I'm glad I'm not full dad enough to know that was a Henry Ford quote. <laughs> yeah. And sin like Flint again, which is a political power ballad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Detroit Rock City, the Kiss song. I think oh. Dylan ran away with it. <laughs> I don't want to have to do this. <laughs> um, He's trying to think of something nice a, to say about ours. There comes ours. a time yeah. in every dad's life. <laughs> I think, hey, Toby, very true to the spirit of ACDC. Wow, you hate to be started with first. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till you hear what I say about Ben. Maybe I'll, I'll get a little butt. <laughs> very true to the spirit of ACDC. You, you'll love to see it. Bailey, dads and hats. I really feel that. <laughs> I really can imagine it. But Dylan crushed you guys. Yeah. Dylan wins so hands down. It's ridiculous. Every one of those is a winner. And that's no lie. Motown. Do you want to get married? <laughs> to all of us. Yes. So thank you very much for uh, coming up with a new hot album. It is, again, Bitten by the Mitten, <laughs> which Dylan already has a backstory for. <laughs> uh, well, now that we got steamrollered, Dylan... It's your time to shine again. It's time for you to choose books at random from our shelves. It is the, the choosing. Choosing. Uh, Andrew. Hi. Oh, hi. I hope you like nouns. I do. <laughs> oh, Dylan. The lead ups you give are so bizarre. <laughs> you have number 30, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Avaristo. Okay, I'm really excited about this book, first and foremost. It won the Booker, or shared the Booker, still won it. Um, And it's supposed to be really great. Um, I'm just astounded by how quick a bunch of the books that I bought recently are coming up. It's great. But I feel a little bad for all my older books. But hey, I get to read the book I'm excited about. So Anatomy of Melancholy, we'll get to you one day. Oh, God. I forgot about that one. Why did I put that on the list? (laughs) Well, Bailey, I hope this book isn't too challenging for you. Because you have number 27, Difficult Woman by Roxane Gay. Oh, okay. Ooh. Great. I, I really love Roxane Gay. I've read a few of her books, including Hunger, which I really was moved by. And this one, I think, is about rape culture. Fun times. Yep. This is that Lightheart Podcast content. I'm looking forward to reading it. Difficult Women. Okay, so in two weeks on the podcast, I have Difficult Women by Roxane Gay, and Toby has Isaac Asimov's iRobot. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List Podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List Podcast. And if you like what you heard tonight, a good way to help us out is to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you use. Um, but Apple Podcasts is the one we know expands our reach a little bit. Um, just go there, click the fifth star. It fills the other ones up for you. You get the all five. Fifth done. star on the right. Fifth star on the right. Be home by morning. Straight on till morning. Straight on till morning. And then, you know, we'll really like you. And that's really all we can ask. And if you've really been bitten by the mitten, uh, <laughs> please go ahead and tell a friend about this podcast. Don't show them this episode, maybe, but like a different one that you really liked. 
I don't know. This one's pretty rocking. <laughs> Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for singing our intro song. Books, books, books. books. That was 50, y'all.